0: But for reasons we're not entirely sure, in May 2020, the SFO dropped the investigation. They didn't really give any substantive reasons, but they said that it hadn't passed the prosecution threshold. So that's either because they didn't think they could get a conviction or that they thought it wasn't in the public interest to bring the prosecution.
1: In this episode, we take a look at the ABB FCPA enforcement action from the perspective of the United Kingdom. Jonathan Armstrong talks us through the SFO putative investigation, which was closed, and how a UK judge in reviewing a DPA might very well consider differently the recidivist nature of a company before it. It's a fascinating exploration of a major FCPA enforcement action from the UK perspective. We're going to have a quick word from our sponsor, and then we'll be back with Life with GDPR.
0: Thanks very much, Tom. Um, In terms of the UK, I suppose A, B is the one that got away, or perhaps it's one of the many that got away under the regime of the current SFO director. Uh, As as I understand it, AB self-reported themselves to the Serious Fraud Office. The SFO launched an investigation in February 2017. It was related to the whole oil debacle that we've talked about previously, where the SFO have managed to get convictions and then not get convictions and cede people to the US and then not cede them to the US. But it's connected with all of that. But for reasons we're not entirely sure, in May 2020, the SFO dropped the investigation. They didn't really give any substantive reasons, but they said that it hadn't passed the prosecution threshold. So that's either because they didn't think they could get a conviction or that they thought it wasn't in the public interest to bring the prosecution. What we do know, however, is that they did start an investigation and made a freedom of information request against the SFO to try and get details of what they'd done. They said that they did 15 interviews that they spent 1,411 hours working up their investigation. They issued 17 Section 2 notices, these notices we've talked to before on the podcast where you serve a notice on somebody who you think's got information to help in the investigation. And they spent £121,000 of British taxpayers' money on the investigation but yet it seems that the, I don't know, the kid who wasn't selected for the game stood on the touchline. There seem to be ongoing investigations in Germany and in Switzerland. My contacts in Germany say that there's nothing imminent in Germany from what they understand and think that something may be happening in Switzerland somewhat sooner. But one of the questions I think you asked me during the week, Tom, what would happen if this were the third time ran the rodeo for somebody under an SFO deal? Deferred prosecution agreements came in the UK in 2014. We had our first in November 2015, the ICBC case. And how I think deals are different in the UK versus the US is that they are subject to judge approval. And effectively what happens is criminal proceedings start and then prosecution and defense try and do a deal, but they always have to persuade the judge that deal is in the public interest. And the judge in the first case said that it has to be fair, reasonable, and proportionate. And they're the three things that he's looking at. And judges in the UK aren't a pushover for DPAs. We have almost like a historic resistance to any form of plea bargaining in criminal cases. And as a result, I think judges are proper barriers. Just because the prosecution and defence have agreed doesn't mean to say that the deal's been done. So I wonder if they would have ever got deal two in the UK. As I said, there is that inherent reluctance of judges to sanction deals that take things out of the full criminal proceedings. And what would have happened had the terms of the DPA been breached in the UK is it would likely come back to court again. And the whole criminal proceedings reinvigorate themselves a bit like, uh, I don't know, Tutankhamun's mummy and come back and live again. And then it is possible to do a second DPA. We haven't ever had one in the UK. But then again, I think the judge would be looking at that fair, reasonable, and proportionate, and saying you were given a chance of leniency under a DPA, persuade me why you get a second chance. So I think from my perspective, it's not happened, so we're talking academically, but my suspicion is you don't get three bites of the cherry under the UK system.
1: Jay, okay, do you have a question for Jonathan? Jonathan, wondering with the lack of recent success and the new top administration that's going to be shuffled over at the SFO, might this be a good time to change and allow the third bite of the cherry?
0: I think the UK didn't get the first bite of the cherry here. I think that we are obviously lots of uncertainty with the SFO. So we know that the current director isn't standing beyond her term, So she'll be gone next year. And we know that there are a number of investigations into things that have happened at the SFO, including unit Oil, where there are files on desks of the relevant ministers. We know that there were threats to abolish the SFO in the past. And some people say that it suits the current government to have a weak SFO. Some would say because of the allegations of corruption most recently about Baroness Moan and the money that she received from people close to the Conservative Party. So we don't know what the future of the SFO is, and we don't know whether it will become stronger. If it does become stronger, then I can see them getting more involved in cases like ABB. It's somewhat odd to have a self-report, to have 17 Section 2 notices, which are only to be used, really, when there seems to be a valid investigation, and then to have the whole case be closed. We know that the current director of the SFO was anxious to close out what you might call Deadwood cases, those cases that the agency had been handling for a long time. Hindsight's a wonderful thing. But it seems from what we've learned about ABB since that maybe this wasn't a deadwood case. Karen, do you have a question for Jonathan. Yeah, I'm just so
1: fascinated by this like posture of the judiciary in the UK that is hesitant to bless DPAs. And I'm wondering how that affects defense strategy and actually maybe even prosecutorial strategy and going forward. Are people less likely to cooperate if all the work might not end up going anywhere?
0: I, th- I think you're right, Karen. I think that's a really good question. And, of course, we never know about DPAs that have gone no way. I hear rumours that there are a number of corporations who have said we're not going to do a deal because there is that risk factor and we're exposing ourselves publicly against an SFO that's especially strong at the moment. So, I think the fact that there isn't absolute certainty and the fact that we have a prosecutor that's regarded as somewhat emasculated means that it, it does influence defense strategy. And obviously, for the prosecution as well, they the SFO have to offer DPA. A company can't insist on it. And obviously, they've got to be confident that they can get it past a judge as well.
1: Jonathan, how would all of this work if you have true a truly international investigation, similar to what we had here, United States, South Africa, Switzerland, Germany, and the United Kingdom, if all of the parties agreed to some sort of settlement, yet in the United Kingdom, that resolution would still have to go in front of a court and there's still uncertainty as to what a judge might do. As Let me just follow up with Karen's idea of a question about defense counsel. If you're a defense counsel, you have to raise a possibility. We may not get the resolution we want, but if you want to settle with everybody else, are you still opening up yourself potentially
0: in the United States, I think you are, and I think we have had one case where the judge said that he didn't think that the share of the fines was fair. So, obviously, the judge as well as determining whether a DPA is the right thing will look at whether the terms of the settlement are fair as well. And in that case, from memory, it was perceived that the US had secured a greater share of the fine pot. I think the judge effectively said, I'm going to let it through this time, but don't come back to me again with an unfair division of the spoils. Obviously, here it's somewhat complicated because I think the idea is that the fines will be used in part for restitution as well. I think that's a long-standing history in the US and the UK. Siemens, I think, for example, some of that settlement, I think, was diverted back to places like Hungary for programs there. And so I think it isn't a given that the divvy up agreed by the prosecutors would get sanctioned by a UK judge as well. Although in cases like Airbus and in Rolls-Royce, for example, we have had the court follow the the divvying up of the spoils that was a, agreed on a multinational basis.
1: This is Tom Fox. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Life with GDPR. In 2023, if you've ever considered starting your own podcast or would like some advice on the production or posting of your podcast, I hope you will consider utilizing the Compliance Podcast Network, the only podcast network dedicated to compliance. If you'd like more information on the Compliance Podcast Network, you can contact me via email at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. Thanks so much for listening. This episode of Life with GDPR has been a special production of the Compliance Podcast Network.
0: This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit
1: c-suiteradio.com.